Hey everyone, welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. I'm Stevie, leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the club. Our theme this month is disinformation and fake news, which you can find at podcastbrunchclub.com slash fake news. Today we'll be speaking with Raina Cohen, the producer on the Hidden Brain episode, Fake News, an origin story, from this month's playlist. The episode we feature this month featured Andy Tucker, a professor at Columbia University, who shares the history of fake news and objectivity in the media. Besides her work with Hidden Brain, Raina Cohen worked at ABC News this week with George Stephanopoulos, and her writing has appeared in The Atlantic and The New Republic. Raina, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me to talk. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So can you tell me a little bit about your role at Hidden Brain and a little bit about the team behind the episode we listened to this month? Yeah, so I am an associate producer, and as a producer, it means kind of doing everything from start to end. The way that I think about it is essentially that I, I'm i involved in all parts of the process, minus the business and the like actually being on air part. And I'm on a team where there's the host, a supervising producer, and then five other producers who kind of have similar roles to me. You know, what I get to do and the rest of us get to do is pitch stories. We do a lot of reading to figure out who's going to be on the show. You know, once a story is in process, we are setting up interviews getting to prepare Shankar for the interviews, which means, you know, reading the books or doing pre-interviews or reading someone's journal articles. So I'm like a a big nerd. I'm just going to leave that out uh, pretty early. So this is very, it's very fun for me. That part's very fun for me. And, you know, once we have hours of tape in hand, we get to start scripting and we go through a collaborative editing process. And then there is all the audio production work. And I've been on Hidden Brain for about three years. And I think as time goes on, we've played more and more with sound design. So that is also sort of a fun and rich part of the process to think about how to use music to tell the story and other forms of sound design that can you know, bring I- ideas alive. So kind of from, from conception to the actual like, execution, that's, that's what uh, I get to do and the other producers on the show get to do. Yeah, as a producer, I mean, you may not be the host, but it sounds like you're really in the trenches. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the that's the fun part. Yeah. So how long does it take from like beginning to end for an episode like that? To I mean, from what we hear as listeners, it sounds like an interview with Andy Tucker. It seems like maybe the host and her just sat down and they did it over the weekend and the show went out on Monday. Yeah, no, not not that quick. This was actually a quicker turnaround one just because of the way that it ended up working in our schedule. But That was, you know, first trying to figure out who are we going to have on the show. And then Andy has more than one book and, you know, other articles. So I remember trying to figure out how do these different things that she's written out about over the years, you know, fit together and figuring out, like, how do you convey ideas through a story arc where each segment of the episode feels like you are traveling somewhere you know, if you listen to a lot of the questions and, and on, on Hidden Brain, they're kind of driven by stories. So then there's the interview with Andy, which meant some like logistical setup. And then the interview, I you know, I don't know what the raw interview was exactly, somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half, I'm sure. And that episode is about a half hour. So we cut things down considerably. And that means trying to figure out, well, what is essential? How do you keep the momentum? We have to find music. I had to search for tape, and that can take a very long time to find the exact thing that you're looking for. And there are all sorts of other things that involve, like, making everything the right volume and sort of finessing. So those are kind of the parts of the process, and it's usually happening over the course of months while people are working on multiple projects. But, yeah, this one I think we were able to turn around within several weeks. 
Yeah, and it was done so effectively. I mean, you really followed like the human journey of news and how people interact with it over a hundred years. Really well done. You know, our theme this month is fake news. As someone who works at a widely respected news source, such as NPR, how does this current era of fake news shape your reporting? You know, there are organization-wide standards. So, you know, the first thing that I think of is our beloved former standards and uh, editor of Standards and Practices, Mark Nemet. He had a a memo that was about a truth sandwich, which I think actually is something that other journalists have written about as well. But the idea is, and we know this from the kind of psychology research that we've shown, that if you just tell somebody something that's false and then afterward you tell them that the thing they previously heard was wrong, it's not really going to be very effective in debunking the, you know, this false belief. So what Mehmet suggested was that people who are presenting something that, you know, one person or another said that was false is that you start with the truth and then you say the thing that is that is wrong but is newsworthy and that's why you're there to talk about it. And then you reiterate that it was wrong. So the kind of fun example that he had in this memo was Despite the fact that Corver Coleman has accurately said Mark Mehmet's name all the time, he falsely claimed that she mispronounced it by, you know, emphasizing in the wrong place. And we looked back and she said his name correctly 17 times on the air. Like that kind of idea, have the truth as your bread and the thing in between to be the the, the false belief. So I think that's like an organization-wide idea. In terms of hidden brain, I mean, we have the luxury of not having to cover the news you know, as it's happening. And that allows for certain things like we have we have a very thorough fact-checking process, which the newsroom has to do in a much quicker way. But it also means that it affects what we get to cover. So, you know, besides this story on fake news, we've also done other stories that are about how people come to believe things that aren't true. So there's an episode with Tally Sharrett about, you know, the sort of psychology of false beliefs. And I think it's pretty humbling to to think about why we are are drawn to ideas that are are, are not true. And we also had an episode around specifically false beliefs in science and even among scientists, how these ideas spread. So even if we're not covering what this politician said that was inaccurate, we get to sort of step back and give people information that allows them to maybe reflect on whether they believe something that isn't really accurate. And so I think that's the way it kind of comes out most prominently in Hidden Brain. Well, it makes sense that your practices at NPR at Hidden Brain would be so granular, seeing as you're so respected. I would just say, you know, this whole episode had to, was just talking about objectivity and reporting and how really there was a lack of object, objectivity throughout history. I mean, it seems almost like our modern beliefs of fact-checking is a little bit of an outlier in terms of what people have been consuming for so long. I mean, I'd be interested in hearing how the Hidden Brain team values objectivity. I mean, is that part of your process? I think the way that we, you know, the way that objectivity comes into the work that we do is um, we are interested in ideas that make us uncomfortable. And instead of turning away from them to try to understand them and to try to get at them from different vantage points. So, I, I mean, I think a really obvious example of this was there was an episode about explanations for why white voters voted as they they did in the 2016 election. And there were two different scholars who had 
different arguments that were in conflict with one another to quite an extent about why white voters had gone for Trump and, you know, whether this was like basically whether you want to emphasize the class part or the or racism in in their behavior. So, you know, I guess the way that I think about Hidden Brain is that it is a show that is interested in investigating all sorts of ideas, even ones that make us uneasy, you know, to do it with a lot of nuance and to not be pursuing controversy, but to shed light rather than heat. And I think about this with the episode In the Air We Breathe, which was about um, the implicit association test. So it's you know, a very widely used test to kind of determine someone's level of implicit bias, so like sort of bias that they would not themselves maybe even be aware of. We were focused on race, but it's a test you can do for all, all sorts of prejudices. And there are, you know, pieces in the media at the time that were kind of very negative on the IAT because there were issues with how much it was actually able to predict people's behavior and people sort of saying, well, this is useless. And I think that, you know, the episode turned into it wasn't just basically a hit job on this um, really important test, but instead was like an investigation into, well, what does this test explain? And I think we got a much more interesting answer from that. So I think maybe like a willingness to look at all, all corners and not do a very simple story is part of what it means to, you know, to be objective. Like, I think that there are, there are other things that Hidden Brain has reported on about implicit bias, and maybe we could just not report on the problems with the, you know, the debate over the problems with the test, because it would undermine other things that have come on the show. But that's sort of not the way we go about things. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to explain that to me. I feel <clears throat> I feel a little guilty that the episode that I'm bringing you on is about fake news and objectivity, and I, I'm really grilling you <laughs> on your practices as a journalist. I hope that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it's you know important to have a lot of integrity, and I, I mean, actually, this the story behind how Andy Tucker got on is is related to journalism practice because I encountered her work through a fellowship that I went on that was about professional ethics, and I was specifically in the journalism program, and she was one of the the leaders of it. So she gave this presentation on the history of fake news that was pretty extraordinary, and when we were thinking about people to have on the show that, you know, she had, she'd come to mind. But anyway, that's just to say that, like, I'm interested in, in thinking deeply about the ethics that go into how journalists carry out their work. And a lot of the stuff we do can get into tricky territory, even if you're trying to be careful. Well, and I would say we're very interested as well, at least me personally. I mean, as a podcast consumer, I think I'm just someone who's yearning for information. So the more I can hear about your process is excellent. But I'd like to move on a little bit past this topic and hear about what you're working on mm -hmm. now. Like, what are you doing personally or what is Hidden Brain doing that we can look forward to? So I am like at the early stage of several different episodes. Um, so yeah, one I'm excited about, we're still figuring out exactly the, you know, the angle, but it'll be related to anger in some way. And I am pretty certain we're going to have on this philosopher who I, uh, I've just like adored her work for a very long time. So that's pretty exciting to get to you know, be helping with an interview with somebody who's whose work I like I, you know, in my outside life find really interesting. Yeah, people are working on all sorts of things. There's an episode that's coming out in a couple of weeks that I am really eager to hear from my colleague Laura. And it has been in the works for a while, but the general idea as I understand it is that, you know, well past the period when people have imaginary friends, we actually are kind of communing 
with different people uh, mentally. So whether it is like a celebrity or the author of a book or somebody who you kind of feel like you know and you're in conversation with, even though you actually don't know them, she's sort of looking into what those sorts of relationships look like. And I think the some of this sort of interesting psychology around it. So, uh, you know, it'll be as it'll be new to me once once I get to hear it. Uh, but she is in the, the you know, trenches right now trying to um, produce that episode. And there's also there is um, I, another one of my colleagues has an episode coming out soon that I think like for me has changed the way that I think about political activism and <laughs> yeah, has made me observe certain things about how I and other people talk about politics and engage with it that, uh, you know, m- may not be as uh, as valuable as as maybe I, I had previously thought. So I think that's another one that will be coming out in the next month or so. And uh, I hope will affect how people th- see the world a little bit. And yeah, as journalists, I we can't actually engage with politics, but I think it's definitely valuable for people who don't have restrictions on what they can do in their communities or on the national level. You had mentioned there was someone that you're really looking forward to having on your show. Are there any like guests out there or subjects out there that you just would love to have on your show and speak to? I mean, I think like I, there are all sorts of people I would like to hear from. Like I think, um, yeah, there's work by um, Agnes Collard. I think, I'm actually not sure if that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, she's a philosopher at UChicago and she does work on transformative experience. So, you know, from this is my very lay um, uh, understanding of it, that essentially the question of how do you make decisions about a version of yourself that you aren't yet? So if you are trying to decide whether you want to become a parent, if and when you become a parent, your preferences are going to be very different. So I think the thought experiment around this is like, would you want to be a vampire? And, you know, how do you evaluate whether you would want to be a vampire because you have no clue what it would feel like to be one. And once you are in that kind, you know, this have the body and the mind of a vampire, that that would change everything for you. So I've like had that kind of idea of transformative experience in the back of my mind. And I think about that with decision making, but um, I haven't gotten really to dig into her work. But I, you know, when I read about it, I, I thought it was really interesting. Well, I, I think Raina, you might be the perfect person to work at Hidden Brain. <laughs> I I am. <laughs> I don't know what that I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say the best things about my dinner party conversation, I guess, but I just surround myself with a lot of people who like talking about utility curves, I guess, and uh, other kinds of weird social science things. So yeah, I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> well, I certainly love hearing your work on the show. Well, thanks thanks so much. So last thing I want to ask you is, what are you listening to? Uh, that's what we like to do at Podcast Brunch Club is just talk about the podcasts we're into. So if I picked up your iPhone or your smartphone and press play, what would I hear? Uh, well, some, something that I finished somewhat recently that I really got into was Patient Zero, which is a, a podcast from New Hampshire Public Radio that is about Lyme disease and sort of about the history of Lyme disease and why people sort of, I mean, it gets into people who, you know, talk about having chronic Lyme and essentially having symptoms after they've already received treatment for for Lyme disease. But it ends up being just like this using Lyme disease as a way to talk about the medical system and trust that between patients and doctors and how you 
you know, end up with charlatans who are really effective um, at pulling people in. I And there's just like a lot of interesting sound design and I thought the host was great. So it's uh, like one of these, I think it maybe it was seven episodes or so. And I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I mean, some of the other stuff I listen to, I feel like everyone's listening to, like Dolly Parton's America. And <laughs> as I was describing the, you know, Patient Zero, I feel like there's actually something very similar going on there. We're using Dolly Parton as a way to examine all these other things about American culture. And yeah, I mean, I didn't grow like I've had nine to five on my to watch list for a very, very long time. Um, and I just didn't grow up sort of knowing about her really like other than just in a in a passing way. So, I mean, I listened to a lot of public radio stuff. Like, I thought Rough Translation had some recent episodes on Ukraine. You know, I really love listening to things where I have very little knowledge coming in. I, you know, I think that's one of one thing that I find is kind of different about podcasts versus reading, that I end up reading about things that I already kind of know about. Whereas with podcasts, I find that it's a lot easier for me to jump in to, you know, some history of Malaysia that I have no foundation for, but by the end of the half hour, the hour that I know much more about. So this was about um, like corruption in Ukraine. And I just... And there was another that was about comedy. And yeah, I just walked away both enjoying it and feeling like, okay, now I know something about a place that I didn't know about before. So yeah, there was a fun Planet Money episode that just came out at the, God, I'm, I'm really on brand here. It was at the American Economic <laughs> Association. And there's a part where the, ho like the host and the producer are actually like running a 5K that's part of the conference with one of the people that they're interviewing. So they're doing an, interviewing, an interview while running. It was, uh, and the idea was like, these, you know, let's talk about concepts from economics that apply to our daily lives. I mean, I started off at Planet Money. I was an intern there. That's how I got into NPR. So, you know, when I listen, it's always a reminder of like, they've managed to find some fun, unusual way to get at what otherwise could be like pretty dry stuff. Well, thank you so much for those suggestions. Um, it's exciting to hear that someone who makes podcasts is so into the podcast. I would hope so. <laughs> Maybe I can convince you to go to your local podcast brunch club meeting because they would probably love having you. No, I think I saw on your Twitter account one in London, uh, but yeah, you're all over. So I'm I'm in DC. I will I will definitely um, check check that out. So how can our listeners hear more about you, follow you, get in touch with you? Uh, you know, if I have intrigued you with you know, all the things I've said about social science and you want to hear more for whatever reason, you can, you know, send, send me an email. My at uh, my NPR email is rcohen, uh, C-O-H-E-N at NPR.org. And I'm also on Twitter, not like a hyperactive person, but I kind of use it as a repository for things that I'm, I'm reading and find interesting. And thankfully, since I have an unusual name, I just, it's at Raina Cohen. So that's R-H-A-I-N-A, -A, same spelling for Cohen. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a fun talking to you. Yeah, it's been really fun talking to you too. Thanks. Thanks everyone for tuning into the podcast. If you aren't a member of the Podcast Brunch Club, be sure to head on over to podcastbrunchclub.com and sign up. We'll be back throughout the month with more creator interviews and a roundup episode this month with our resident journalist, Jenna Spinelli and me. So until next time, happy listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support more connections in the world, please consider throwing us a few bucks on Patreon or make a one-time donation. I'll put the links in the show notes. Every little bit helps. Also, a quick thanks to our early organizational partners. Podbean, 
You can go to podbean.com slash PBC for one free month of podcast hosting. Listen Notes is a podcast search engine. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts. Critical Frequency, the podcast network for everyone else. The Venn Media, a weekly newsletter for curious minds. And Lintigua Williams and Company Network, beautiful ideas in motion. Finally, some credits for this episode. Stevie Zampanti of Conceptual Podcasting does our audio editing. Music is from Chad Crouch and Misael Ghana, downloaded from Free Music Archive. I'm Adela, founder of Podcast Punch Club. Thanks, and happy listening. Listening.